great. Thanks, Pastor Steve. That's brilliant. Thanks, uh, Family Church. Haven't it's good, as you say. I'm I'm down the road. I am literally. I came from down the road, literally. 34 years ago. Um, this is local to me. I feel home. When I come here, it's not like I'm coming somewhere that's new. I, I, you know, I, I feel a part of this community, um, and, and this is where my heart is. Um, when I come here, you know, I, this, I have memories, of course, but I also have a love to see God move um, in this area, in this place. So it's my privilege to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, everyone okay? Good. Brilliant. Um, I'm excited. Who loves Jesus? Jesus, he's a miracle-working God. He changes broken things, mends, and restores lives. Amen? He takes that which the world says, mm, no good, and he says, more than possible. I can make that more than possible. He uses the things that the world writes off, and he makes them to be better than they ever could have been. My life was so broken when I came to know God, and I haven't got, this is, this is me just speaking from my heart now because I just feel the need to do it. My life was so broken when I came to God. The world said, he's no good. He's done. He's useless. Teachers who couldn't contain me in the classroom, he's useless. He's no good for nothing. Yet Jesus saw something. His love at the cross. He gave his life for everyone. And this broken, messed up life, became useful in some way for his purpose, for his glory, and was able to help other people. And I just feel, don't write yourself off. Don't allow what the world has put on you to be the thing that dictates your future. It's what God says about you that matters more than anything else. Not what the world says, not what a parent has put on you, not what a teacher has said who you are. The word of God is who you are. You are a child of God. Victory is yours in Christ. The blood of Christ sets you free from every past pain and hurt. I believe that this morning, that people need to hear that. Yesterday's failure will not dictate your future. It will not be the thing that takes you forward. His forgiveness, his mercy that meets us every morning, amen? Come on, I just feel God wants to break freedom out in this place today. I really just feel God, Jesus, the name above every name, wants to break out in this room and break chains that are binding people, things that are holding you back from being who you were meant to be. Maybe you're restricting yourself. Maybe you've said, I can't do it. But the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Come on, he makes it easy. He doesn't even say you need to do it in your strength. He says, I'll give you my strength. I'll give you what you need to do it. You've just got to trust me. You've got to step out. One of my biggest fears growing up was public speaking. Come on, this is the strength and manifestation of God. When English lesson happened, Sean was out the window because it meant speaking. And it was easier to be naughty and misbehave because it meant I didn't have to stand up and do the things that made me frightened, shy, nervous. It was easier to jump out the window and misbehave than it was to stand up to the fact that I might have to stand in front of people and look like a right wally because I didn't know what I would speak about. What was I? I I just didn't know. But he gives us his strength. He manifests his power within weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because it's his strength manifesting in me. Come on, local Lee Park lunatic can be transformed for the goodness of the kingdom of heaven. Come on, all things are possible with him. Everything is possible. This is the goodness of our God. Jesus Christ, the son of God that died for everyone. Every person, 
You may have looked at yourself in the, this morning in the mirror and said, I'm done. Keep failing. I keep making the same mistake. I keep tripping up again. I keep having the same thoughts. God's not done with you. You may have thought that this morning, but know this, that God is just starting. He's about to break out. The reason you're here this morning, it may have been a struggle to get here this morning for you, for some of you. Know that God wants to do something. He wants to break the chains of whatever is holding you back this morning. Amen. And I'm just believing for that. Oh, goodness. Sorry, Steve. I haven't even started yet. (laughs) But I just feel God wants to move. And hey, maybe we don't get through the message. Maybe God just moves and breaks chains. But we're going to start by praying. So just lift your hands. And I just feel God is just going to open your heart. Lord, for every hand lifted, let it be an open heart to receive this morning. Lord, I thank you that the seed is going to be sown. Let the heart be that fertile field. Let the soil be good. Let it go down deep. Let the seed hit where it's meant to hit. And let it grow a harvest a hundredfold in the lives of every person here, Father, I pray. I believe in, Lord, Jesus, this is you. Let us get out of the way this morning, Lord, so that you can move and have your way in every person. Jesus, let your miracle working power manifest. In your name we pray. Amen. Fantastic. I'm just going to open this. This is always the trick, like. Don't spill it down yourself. Oh, no, I did it. I spilled it. (laughs) Never can do it. I always like having because you've got this little table as well. We don't get that in Portsmouth. That's why I come, just for that. (laughs) I'm going to take a picture of that, actually, and say, you need to bolt one of them in Portsmouth. (laughs) But, um, yeah, it's my privilege, as I said, to share the word of God. And we're going to go to that scripture that I think you've probably read about a thousand times by now. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, because we're going to be looking about running the race. And I think it's good to stay on something, you know. When you're on something, God wants to do something. It's good to be kind of repetitive with it, because the more, if you're like me, the more you say it, the more it gets ingrained within you. And I think it's important that we allow this word to just be richly put into us. And you may think, I've heard this so many times. But you know what? It's often when you've heard something so many times that that revelation just pops out and it comes. So we're going to look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And then I'm just going to introduce a little bit about what I'm speaking about today. So it says, therefore, since we, that's us, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run. Come on, say run. Run. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Come on, this is great. You know, 55 years of marriage. That only happens, I believe, when you put Jesus at the, you fix your eyes on him, right? You know, like Steve said, marriage isn't an easy thing. It's not. And when you've got Christ in the center, it makes it all so much easier. When you put him at the focus of your life, it makes everything so much sweeter. So we're called to run this race, and I just want to share this briefly before, because as I was thinking about this, I often think about my own life, and when it comes to running a race, there's always a moment of obscurity. There's always a moment of obscurity. When you look at the athletics race, you know, whether it be the, 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 the relay race or whatever it is, that major race, that isn't the guy just starting. There's a moment of obscurity that starts 
well before any of this has happened. We often, that's the glory moment. The, yeah, come on, this is the moment. He's running, his passion is fiery, it's exciting. That's not where it started. It would be mad if it was where it started. Because you imagine, like, just picking someone from the crowd. Come on down, you're going to run, like, with a hot dog and a drink in your hand. Like, really? Me? All right, let's have it go. It would be useless. Um, I'd love to see it. It would be great entertainment, but it wouldn't work so well. Um, so I just want to encourage you not to be afraid of these obscure moments that we find ourselves in. This is actually the place of growing and developing. Um, the f- the, like I said, the final of a big athletics race is the result of many of these obscure years where there isn't a massive crowd, where there isn't a huge applause. It's often you running, building, maybe with a coach, maybe on your own, building the endurance, building the strength with no one watching. It's only through those seasons that you can get to the final and run the race in such a way. But without the obscurity, it doesn't happen very well. The disciples, when they journeyed with Jesus on the earth for around three years, there was a season of growing and developing. There was a season of walking with the coach of life that was giving them all they needed before they were about to go and hit the final. That major race of their life before... It wasn't a matter of just, there you go, go and do it. There was a season of growing and developing behind the scenes, often getting it wrong, often chopping soldiers' ears off and then getting rebuked, often having situations fail seeing themselves as failure, but seeing the grace of God manifest and seeing forgiveness happen and seeing themselves growing and developing in the strength of God. One of the greatest pictures of obscurity in in, in life, when I look at King David, you know, he was anointed as this young, almost forgotten kid. Prophet Samuel comes, even he's like, really him? God, I think I must misheard you today, do you know what I mean? But it, it was him, it was this young little shepherd boy He was anointed as king, but then he was shifted back out to the field. It wasn't like he was anointed king. We all want that, don't we? We want that moment. This is my moment. And it's like, no, no, no. And now go and sit in the field and look after the sheep. For him, his race was there, but it started in obscurity. The minute he stepped onto that sheep field with the anointed oil on his head, God was planning the journey. He was preparing him. He was preparing him for the major race of his life. And how did he do it? By training him with sheep, when no one was watching him. What was David? He was a worshipper. He sat in that field looking after the sheep, protecting the sheep. That sheep later became Israel, and he looked after them the way he looked after those sheep. He protected them. Why? Because he was trained in obscurity to run that race. And without that, I think there's a failing in our lives. We we won't get to where we need to get to because we haven't had the training and developing. So don't be afraid of the obscurity, the moments when no one's watching because we all want to get that moment, don't we? Of like that victory of the the 100 meters race, the run of like achieving something. But it doesn't come just like that. It comes through training, developing. Think of education. You know, you're not going to make a three-year-old go and do a GCSE thing, isn't it? There's a training involved. There's... some of you might. No, I definitely couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it when I was 16. But the fact is, the, the, the reality is there's a training. There's always a training, and the training isn't that great. It's not a glory moment. It's not a moment of, yeah, it's usually a moment of, oh, come on, really? But don't be afraid of the obscurity. Don't be afraid of the obscure seasons. They're just preparation for what's next. So the, Pastor Steve has shared over the last few months about this race, the race that we're on. And last week, he, he, he opened it up a little bit in regards to um, the relay race. Got this. Nice little bat in here. Um, 
and, and, and this relay race involving other people. And the question I have, I suppose, is this. There's two questions I'm going to ask, and then I'm going to look at three different points that we can, we can look at that I think will encourage us on this journey. The first is this. The first point, is this an individual race? The reality of us running, is it an individual race? And I suppose it's a little bit of a trick question because in athletics, an athlete is both an individual athlete but is running for the greater purpose of a team, right? When you think of um, the Olympics, Team GB, you know, at that moment of running the race, the, 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 the hurdles runner, whatever they might be, the divers, they're, they're running for their individual moment of glory almost, but they know it's for the greater good of an overall reward of the team, Team GB. So they're both an individual runner, but also running for a greater purpose. And I believe the Christian life is both this, it's an individual race, but it's also a team event. And this is what we're looking at today. Running the race regarding discipleship. You might have heard this word, discipleship. is a bit of a weird word when I first come to church. Disciple what? Um, and, it, and it's one of those weird kind of Christian terms. And what is discipleship? It's following Christ, but not just following him, imitating him. Allowing his ways to manifest in our life. So we're seeing the breakout of God in our everyday world. We're seeing Jesus turn up when we turn up. Because we've allowed his life to embed into us and our old life to disappear and our new life in him to start living out. This is discipleship. Throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples who were called by Jesus to follow him. You know, we, we see the accounts of, of Jesus saying, come and follow me. Um, they followed him on an individual basis, right? They were all following him individually, trying to gain from him, trying to learn from him having personal relationship with him, but also together as a team, we're used to go and reach and help others. You know, the 70 were sent out. The so-called other parts were sent out to go and pray and heal the sick. He was sending them out for the greater good of something, but also they had to have this individual walk with him because without that, it's useless. This isn't religion. This is relationship. If we're into religion, we're done. If this is just about ceremony and the singing the song, we're done because there's no life in that. Life comes when you enter into life's presence. And life is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the answer to life situations. He is life. And so only when we get into relationship with life can that life manifest in our own life. And then we become part of a greater team, which is the church, the body of Christ. That is the answer to what I believe is a broken world. That is the hand of God reaching out for every individual person to a broken society you know we see it through the food banks we see it through all the things we do that's the hand of God reaching out that's a team event that doesn't happen just by individuals you know it might it might be some that do a lot more than others but it is a team event and every time an athletic um an athlete competes they compete to win as I said the individual race but for the greater good of the team every win they make is a win for that team too every win the individual makes the team you know, are cheering him on. We've done it. We're higher up. We're going. We're moving. Focus isn't just about them, but it's also those who are competing with them on the team. Individual race, when I look at this from a Christian point of view, like I said, we run our own race to build our relationship with God, to grow in prayer and the knowledge of his word. We must be in the word. We must be in the word of God. It is the word of God that changes life. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why broken Lee Park lunatics can have a, a new life because they're no longer living according to their own world, the, world, the world's ways. They're living 
to the God's ways, which says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh, my days. Like, uh, this is me now. Galatians 2.20, I no longer live. But the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me. Come on, I'm going to live my life as a sacrifice to you, God. You start changing the way you think. People are like, what's this guy? He's totally different. I'm recognizable. Why? Because you no longer are who you used to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17, all things have become new, literally have become new. You're a new person in the spirit. So we have to get in the word of God. This is the individual part of our race. We have to get in the word of God and we have to be praying. Prayer is our communication to God. It's talking to God. It's telling God. It's the relationship part of who you are. A marriage doesn't work unless 55 years, you, you know, the experts in the room here, have a word of them afterwards if, if, if you've got time. Um, to ask them, did you communicate every day? I'm pretty sure the answer would have been yes because when there's no communication, things break down. You know, if there's no talking, if me and my wife just stop talking, drifting happens. And drifting, day by day, you might go one day and go, it's all right. But drift for a year and see how far apart you are. A day, drifting, is here. Keep drifting, keep drifting, keep drifting. Watch what happens. This is what will happen in your relationship with God. If you allow your prayer life to stop, you will drift and drift and drift and drift. And you'll go one day, what happened? Well, the enemy's a snake. He'll allow it very slowly, very subtly to happen very quickly. But you know the goodness of God is in one moment you can say, God, I need you. And he's immediately back with him. You can restore that relationship and that closeness to God immediately just by speaking to him. His word, this is the individual, his word and our prayer. It's all about relationship. And then the team part is when we run together. Why? To see the kingdom of heaven breaking out in the lives of those around us. Workplaces, schools, families, friendship circles. This, in part, this, this involves the greater part of who we are. The individual part of us manifesting as the whole. Seeing the goodness of God breaking out. But it requires us to realize that it's on us. I have a responsibility. Not Pastor Steve, Pastor Kirsty, the leaders. They do that, don't they? I just go home. No, 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 no. The, there's, a, there's an individual part of you pressing into God. But there's also a greater part of you as a community of people that are running the race together. There's some that have gone before and there's some that are coming after. The second thing within this point I want to make before we look at the three short points that I have is this. We know that this is an individual and team event, but who is your opponent? I think this is a good question I often ask myself. Often in life, you can look at others around you, right? And you can look um, and think, I'm competing against them. I'm competing against them, whether it's in your workplace or whether it's, um, you know, it can even be within church sometimes, the feeling of needing to compete against someone. And there are times in life when you will, like a job interview, that, you know, you are up against natural people. That is a reality. You can't all get the job. That would be weird. I couldn't do it. I hired all 20 of them. It would be weird, right? You, you, there is a natural element of that. Like, you have to compete sometimes, and by the grace of God, you might get it, you might not, but God's always got a plan for everyone, and that's okay. But that's not our opponent in what I'm trying to speak about. When it comes to the biblical understanding of who your opponent is, we can look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6.12, and this is what it says. For our struggle, that's us, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Look to the people next to you. Have they got flesh on them? Yeah, if they haven't, run. 
out that fire exit door and I'll follow you. <laughs> so if they've got flesh and they've got, that's not your struggle. Stop struggling against your brothers and sisters. Stop struggling against human beings that are standing next to you. The struggle is not against them. The Apostle Paul writes it. Two very short little bits of the, It's not against flesh and blood. But who then? Well, he goes on to give us that answer as well. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, this isn't a natural race that we're running. Often we're caught in a natural world, so it looks natural. It's easy to see that. It's easy to think that. It's easy to get annoyed with people, right? Come on, hands up. Let's not be pretend we're not human beings. It's easy to get frustrated with people when they're not doing exactly what I need them to do. You know, and often God's probably looking at me going, yeah, you get it now. You're not doing what I need you to do. And maybe he's teaching us a lesson in that. But the reality is, that's not the wrestle, the race that we're against. The race isn't about us seeing ourselves better than others. Or to be able to say, we're more supreme than you, and therefore I'm more victorious than you, because I'm at a higher status than you, though I earn more money than you, and I'm better, and then pride creeps in, and it's look at me. That's not the race that you've been called to. The race that the Apostle Paul gave his life for was this. Against the power of darkness that is present on the earth to try and take people to hell. That's the race that we're running against. The race against the power of darkness causing people to face depression and anxiety, feeling hopeless and like they have no way out. That is the race that we're running against. Come on, this gets me excited. We're not running a natural race, arguing about who should sit where or what should happen here. That is wasted time. This race is against the devil and his evil hosts bringing sickness upon people and robbing them of life. Come on, the power of heaven manifest in this room, we believe. This is the race to bring the love and life of God to a lifeless and loveless generation. To turn up when there is no love and bring the love and hope of God. The kingdom of heaven on earth. Come on, your will be done. Kingdom come. This is what Jesus said. This is his will. In your workplaces, in the school playgrounds, in the dropping off of the kids. The kingdom of heaven is turning up when you turn up. The enemy wants you to deceive you and think it's not. Do you know what? He's got no power over you other than in there to tell you you can't do it. The Bible says you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, Jesus is the answer. This is a race to bring all power of heaven on earth and eradicate the enemy and his evil plans. Come on, this is the race that we are, we are running. Like I said, it's not a natural race to be the best in this life, though sometimes we want to be. I was the worst in this life. the very worst yeah he died for me and he gave his life for me and he restored that that the world said was useless why would I argue with someone I don't care Jesus is the answer have it, have it all, I don't need anything have the money, have everything have the status, have the title, I don't need it I just need you Jesus Do with some tissues on here. <laughs> oh. This race is so much more about walking with others than it is on our own on this journey, just wondering. And I just want to show a quick video. Steve, have we got that video. 
cool. It's, it's, it's just of a, it's a race, but I just, when I was thinking about this message, I don't know, spiritually, I just was reminded of seeing it once and thought, well, isn't that a great picture of, of what running this race can be like? So if it's okay, the guys have got it ready. I just want to watch it. Some of you would have seen it. I just think it's a great picture of, of, of the race. Johnny has to win and to be sure of taking the title. And right now he seems to have lost control of his legs. And this is worrying. Oh, and he's starting to slow. And there is a little way to go. There's half a K to go. And Johnny is running out of time and is losing. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home, pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me. What an incredible conclusion here in Cozumel. I've never seen anything like that anywhere in world sports. Thank you, Isn't that just a great picture of... I mean, I've never seen a race in such a way. And, and I was just reminded when I was thinking of this, and there's so much you can pull from that video about the race that, that we've been called to run, but... It's not about you. And in fact, when I look at that race, you think they're saying that they're not celebrating anything. Do you know who I think won that race was them? Because it's not about finishing first. It's about getting others across the line. It's about maybe the win for your life. The win is not about how you are the best. It's about what you did on the journey. It's about how you carried others on the journey. And what I love about that is he didn't even pull his brother across. He pushed his brother across. Maybe he was thinking, yeah, I'll get you for this. Have it. Um, if it was my brother, he would have been doing that. He would have fly kicked me across the line. But I love it because it's such a picture of the race that I want to encourage you with that you're on. Seeing those next to you, not as the enemy in your workplaces as the enemy, but those that have, you've been called to reach. Discipleship actually starts with the unsaved. It starts with allowing the love of God to be pouring out into your workplaces because often the love of God will touch someone's heart well before they actually give their life and they'll experience that and then they'll come to know the Lord. 
But there's a journey before that often. And discipleship starts right now with every person in your life around you, in your family, in your workplaces. And just like those guys there, you've been called to carry. You've been called to be a witness. And so I want to look at three things briefly in these last 10 minutes. Um, And I think they can help us. And I've got a lot of scriptures, but I probably won't read through a lot of them. I mean, if you want them, you can, but... Um, I'll come and speak to me afterwards, I can give you, give you them. But the three main points that I want to share, the first one is this. This is in regards to the race of discipleship that I think we've been called to. Compare or encourage? To compare or are we called to encourage? Now, to compare literally means to examine the characters or qualities, of, especially in order to discover resemblance or differences. It's basically to look at something and go, how does it compare? Does it weigh up? Is one better than the other? We live in a world of comparing. You know, you go on Instagram, the first thing you probably do when you see something, if it's a picture of something, or something is compare it to something or something, because it's pictures. It's, maybe you compare yourself to others and you look and go, oh, because comparing often does that. It weighs up something against another. But the, to encourage means to inspire with courage, spirit, or hope. I never go to Instagram and go, oh, I feel so encouraged. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if some of you might do. I don't know. I just don't. I just don't. It just doesn't do anything. You know, I don't have Facebook for that very reason. I don't feel encouraged by Facebook. You know, some people, I'm not condemning Facebook. Please hear me. Just don't feel encouraged by it. I often feel like there's a comparing of some kind. And it's not a platform that I just want in my life. And I'm not, again, condemning. It's just, just something I just chose not to do. And, you know, but I, it's not an encouraging platform for me. In the New Testament, the word for encouragement is the word paracleo. And it, it actually can be translated comfort, exhort, and encourage. So it's not just to, to put um, spiritual hope in it. It's a comfort, to exhort, to lift someone up. You know, don't we all need that sometimes? People in your life are you aware of? It's having that ability to be aware of people that you don't know that need lifting up. And you just walk past them because we're so caught up in comparing ourselves and, and, and thinking about ourselves. Because comparing actually brings, makes you look at yourself and put value, good or bad actually, against someone or something else. But often comparing will always leave someone of lesser than you. Either yourself because you feel like you're lesser than someone else, or you've put someone else down because you feel like you're better than them. That's what comparing does. You know, there's times we have to compare. Go compare. I started thinking, sorry, I had to do that. (laughs) Should have had that come up there or something. But there's times you have to. For instance, insurance. You've got to compare, right? You have to compare different prices. But comparing yourself to someone else is not what we've been called to do. Again, like I said, the problem with comparing is that it focuses on you. It brings attention to you. And the last time I read my Bible and the walk that I've lived, according to the Bible, I'm dead. You know, and I know it sounds reasonable. What? He's dead? No, no, no. I'm I'm dead to who I am, used to be. I'm alive to Christ. Galatians 2.20, like I said earlier, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the life that I live. So why would I compare myself to someone else? Because I'm no longer, de- I'm no longer alive to do that. I don't want to do that. Romans 12.1 is another one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. This is, if, if the Apostle Paul was studying, this is to us, brothers and sisters. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. To what? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices don't just do what they want to do. They're living 
if it's a living sacrifice, but it's given over to the authority of God. It's submitted to God. And I'm not focused on others in that sense now about what I've got in life and is, mine be- is that better than mine? I'm focused on Christ. Yeah. I'm a sacrifice to him. Whether I have or don't have, God, I've got you. And I've got everything I need in him. So therefore, if I have a lot, God bless. If I have little, God bless. I've got him and he's more than enough. Amen. Again, like I said, someone who encourages is not fo- like the opposite. Really, Someone who encourages is not focused on self, but focused on calling others, helping others and encouraging others. Um, so we're called to encourage and compare. And I started thinking about this in the Bible. I started thinking, well, how does it speak of comparing in the Bible? And I couldn't really find anywhere where God commands us to compare ourselves to people. Go and compare yourself to seven people. God knows that's not going to work. That's a, that's, a, that's a useless command, isn't it? The enemy wants that. And he'll whisper that every day. Look at what they've got. What? Yeah, yeah, look, they've got that. Oh, yeah. And, you, and I've, I hear it in people. Yeah, they've, they've got this, they've got that. They, you know, growing up, it was comparing yourself to the Joneses, I think my mum used to say. It's this constant comparing yourself. Look, they've got this again. And, and it's, this, it's a never-ending battle. Constant needing to fulfill something because you're constantly looking at others. But when I started thinking about the word encouragement, I thought, where in the Bible does that sit? And again, for time's sake, I'm not going to read every scripture, but there's loads. There's so many, and I'll just read a few. Um, like, f- f- throughout the book of Acts, like Acts 16.40, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison. I mean, they're in us coming out of the prison. That's reality. You ain't wanting to be encouraging when you've come out of prison. You're probably feeling a bit like, what's just happened? Especially the fact that they went into prison for, for, for reasons that are probably unjust. They went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. They just left prison and had focus on others. Most people would have been like, oh, I've had a tough time. I need a time out. That was horrible in there. Really horrible. I need to go to a lovely break room and just be, be free or run in a field or something. No, no, they didn't even think of themselves. They went to encourage others. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. This is Paul speaking. Finally, brothers and sisters, again, this is us. Rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another. Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. It's a call to encourage. Ephesians 6, 22. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage you. He sends out Timothy, sends out his disciples, sends out all those people to Go and bring encouragement to people. Paul's focus was never himself. I've never read a scripture where Paul said, I needed a day out and I booked myself a spa day in a Roman bath and it was lovely. You just don't see it. Why? Because he had no focus of self because he no longer lived. Christ lived in him. The very presence of God was manifesting. That same Jesus that went to the cross is the same Jesus operating and moving in Paul. His spirit is still manifest and living. It's just in Paul's body. He is still walking in the power of God. Christ isn't dead. We know that, right? And he lives in each of us. So what am I doing with my day? Am I looking to encourage or am I looking for self? That's the first point I want to say, that a relay race cannot operate well when you are focused on others, comparing. Could you imagine a relay race, a race of running, and he's passing it on, he's going, look at him running. Or the one ahead. I don't want to give it to him, he's better than me. (laughs) I'll just hold on to it. It just wouldn't work, would it? It would be useless. Mate, you'd be running going, where is he? Oh, And it's just a self-focused mentality. You've got to be ready to focus on Others encouraging one another and screaming them on as you, they've taken on the mantle, the baton. And that moves on nicely to the next point, which 
I'll brush through, which is about focus forward and stay in lane. I think this is so important when it comes to running a race. Um, obviously, focus forward, running a race, you, it'd be useless if you were like, unless that is a specific race. I don't think there is one of them kind of races. But we have to have our focus running forward, and we have to be making sure that we're staying in lane. And Hebrews 12, 1 and 3, like I read earlier, 1 and 2 that I read earlier, but also if you to add 3 into it, it says fixing our eyes on Jesus in verse 2. We need to have our fix on Jesus. We need to be fixed with Jesus. You know, my wife is, I look at her and I think she just loves Jesus. Like every minute of the day, all she's doing is just reading, listening to the Bible, listening to worship. And, and I get almost sometimes like, I need to be that. I need to be, she, her focus is Jesus. Everywhere and everything is Jesus. Like honestly, and she doesn't have hobbies. Doesn't do, she, her hobby's Jesus. And I'm there with my golf clubs on my back, like, looking at her going, oh, I feel bad. I feel really bad. Uh, and it, and it, but not in a bad, I'm encouraged by it. And I want to be able to encourage others the way she encourages, just by living her life. And I'm like, why? Because her fix is on Jesus. When you are fixed on Jesus, others will be encouraged around you. Even if they don't say it and they're just looking from a distance. And, you know, whether it's people in the workplace, there will be what is going on there? Like, there will be a draw. But if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, then there isn't that draw. You're just like everyone else, following the ways of the world. The second thing that it says in that, that verse, in verse 3 of Hebrews 12, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is important. Endured such opposition. I think that's about staying in the lane. Often the world will throw stuff at you, swaying you away from what God's doing. The enemy's brilliant at it. It brings distraction constantly, getting you thinking off of what God's doing, taking your focus away from Christ and causing you to focus on other things. Who's been there? I've been there. When you just, you get distracted. And like the drift, one distraction a day by day, you start drifting quite far away. That's a rhyme. I like that. And that's the reality, that if we are not focused on Christ, fixing our eyes on him, ultimately our lane change will happen and it will be chaotic. I had this experience on the M27 once. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, it, this memory came to my verse. Uh, this, this verse came to memory. And it, I, I remember driving, and it was a really windy day over the Farlington roundabout. And it was, it was scary. It was probably one of the scariest things that ever happened to me. And that's saying something, because there's a lot of mad stuff that's happened to me. So... I was driving up the, and I had this car and the steering wheel was like a little bit rickety. Like, I don't know what, it, it just felt really loose, like, not, not like coming off loose. I was like, just like the steering just felt too light. And I was going up and the wind was hammering. And all of a sudden, like, I tried steering into the wind, but it just, I just lost control. And I span and it was like slow motion. Everything started, I was like, oh my days, like what is going on? And I span across the three lanes, hit the barrier. And I just, there was like cars on coming at me. One hit me like here and threw me over there. It was absolute chaos. And I thought to myself, as I was thinking about this, that if we take our focus off of Christ, the enemy so easily comes in, knocks you off of lane, causes you to swerve off. And before you know it, you're facing the wrong direction with oncoming traffic coming at you. You need to be focused on Christ. When you're focused on Christ, you can be in the right lane, allowing those distractions not to come in. But the minute we take our focus off of him, 
We're like a relay runner with no sense of direction, running straight out the stadium, straight off. It's useless. Like, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? You're meant to be running round. Like, it's no good. If we're going to be helping others on this journey, we need to first make sure that our eyes are fixed on Christ. If we're going to carry the baton to the next person, it'll be no good if we're in the wrong lane. It'll be no good if we're facing the wrong way. Unless you want to give it back to the person who just gave it to you. It's weird. Our focus has to be forward. Philippians 3, 13 to 14 says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is head, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Three things there, forget what's behind, press on forward and you'll win the prize. That's the reality of it. Forget what's behind, don't matter what yesterday threw at you, let it go. Press on to Christ, win the prize. The prize isn't always coming first, it might be getting someone else first. That might be the prize of your life, that you were the greatest person that got someone else somewhere else. That's discipleship. I no longer live. I want to get everyone else around me to Jesus. I want to get them to a place of strength. I want to get them, push me away, just get to Jesus because he's the answer to life. That's the way I want to live. And the third thing that I'm just going to say, and then we're going to finish in prayer, is this. We need to learn how to receive and give. And this is important. I've got a couple of scriptures, but I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to say what I'm going to say. Pastor Steve will share a word up here every Sunday. And you will receive that word every Sunday. But you have a duty not to allow it to sit in your heart and become something that you just have. You have a duty to take that word to your world. It's not just for you. It's about learning how to receive the word, run, and allow that word to pour out in everyone else's life around you. That might be the way you live, the way you speak, the way you talk, the way you encourage someone. But a relay race that he takes it and doesn't do anything with it is not a relay race. It's a man holding a baton, doing nothing, looking like a, I don't know what, on the middle of an athletics pitch. You need, uh, you, you need to carry what you're receiving to the next generation, the next person, the people around you, in the workplaces, in the schools, in the playground, wherever you may find yourself, you have something that you can pass on. This is discipleship. This is the heart of a discipler, that you are not just a disciple, you're a discipler. You're someone, whether you've been saved a week, you know something more than a person who's been saved one day. You have six more days worth of knowing Jesus. You can carry those six more days to that person that's only got one more day. No one is disqualified from this. Every single person in here is a disciple and a discipler, ready to carry and run the race to the next person. We are all involved, amen? Why don't we stand as we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I just thank you for your presence in this room, for the commission that is to go and make disciples, but also, Lord, for us to individually come to you and receive. Lord, I thank you that life without you is dark, it's scary, and it's lonely. And Father, I just want to pray right now for anyone that doesn't know you Lord that has never experienced your love like like how you changed my world Lord I just pray right now Father that hearts would be open that thoughts of concern or thoughts of anxiety would leave the room right now in Jesus name Holy Spirit the God of all comfort I pray you move Listen, you may be here and you've never known Jesus. You've come, maybe you just come, you don't know why, you just come. You just come because you feel like you're pleasing someone else, that's why you're here. Or maybe it's because you think coming somehow will do something in your life. Well, it only 
will change if you come to know him and, and make him Lord and Savior of your life and put faith in him. And we're going to pray a simple prayer and it's really simple. The Bible says that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that word means set free, delivered, completely transformed and renewed. And you can start a journey of knowing God. So if you're here today for the first time or whether you come back, we're going to pray this prayer. And I want everyone to be praying it. So let's just say this. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. I turn from the old way of living. I receive your forgiveness and I receive your spirit. Thank you for new life. Amen. And just in this moment, while every eye is closed and every focus is on him, Jesus. If you've prayed that for the first time or you're coming back to God, I just want you to do one thing and that's raise your hand so that I can pray for you, that I can see and I can pray. So if, if you've prayed that for the first time today and you want to start your relationship with Jesus, why don't you just raise your hand? Is there anyone in this place today that everyone is good with God? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every life that will take the gospel to those around them, to build up, to encourage, to be a witness, to do what you've called us to do, Father, to be a going people, a discipling people. May we run the race with all endurance, Father, chasing after you and allowing your love to manifest in our lives. Father, break out this week, I pray, in every area, in every place. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.